The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. would love to share with the listeners where we're recording today. Uh, boy, do I love where we are. <laughs> uh, so we're actually in my grandma's house right now. We are in the living room recording under some cozy blankets, and mm-hmm. my grandma is literally baking us chocolate chip cookies as we speak. It's so cozy. It's so warm. The smell is not to be believed. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so this is the first episode of the Pale Blue Pod. People are hearing our voices right now. They don't know who we are or why we're here. So maybe we should give them some context. Let's do it. Let's start at the beginning of our relationship. Yeah. Uh, and how how Corinne and I met and how we came to be here today. So, uh, mm-hmm. Corinne, do you want to tell them how we met? Yes. Okay. It's this incredibly romantic story. (laughs) I used to host a space comedy show in New York called Astronaut Training. I played a billionaire and I would have comedians and scientists compete to go to space, very Nickelodeon style. And you guys would win money after after you played little games I made up and then pay me back. Monopoly money. (laughs) We had to pay back. Uh, And then you would pay me back for my time and I would send the winners (laughs) to space. And Moya competed a number of times, won a number of times co-hosted the same number of times yeah I always won Moya's got I, she was just too good <laughs> also you play once I'm not changing the game so like you're gonna know Fair. the answers yeah I, I wanna I wanna tell the audience what types of activities yes, you would have yes. us do because it was it was extremely Nickelodeon. Like I remember answering trivia questions while you made me jump rope. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody had to do like the kendama kind of game while someone was answering. We ha- there was one episode, there's one show where we had to <laughs> I tried to get people to make slime and it just didn't work. And that was <clears throat> the closest we got to Nickelodeon. I'm sad I missed that one. No, don't worry. It was weird. <laughs> I also remember one time, I'm, I'm pretty sure you made me put on an astronaut helmet yep. and run around the venue looking for things. Yes, that was OK. That was a really important game because that was about how are your <laughs> what are your spacewalks going to be like? Can you find all the Mars rocks that I hid around the room um, and then come back? And also, the, I'm sorry for that helmet. The helmet we gave the guests was kind of sharp on the bottom (laughs) just really close to getting you good on your neck oh no i never noticed because i have all this hair oh sure okay lucky you (laughs) um when was that the show ran until march 2020 so i think it started 2017 2018 wow yeah long running that was a different life i know i ordered time (laughs) ordered new postcards to promote the show like March 1st, 2020. It was like such a joke. (laughs) They're still like in my apartment somewhere. Wow. 
oh, the artifacts of a, uh, a life gone yeah. from us <laughs> Goodbye. <now>. Different Corinne, <laughs> different me. <laughs> but but the now Corinne, the, the Corinne who is here uh-huh. today as a co-host on this podcast, uh, let's let's talk about how you became that Corinne. And then fast forward to 2022, I get an email in my inbox from Moya asking if <laughs> I want to host a space podcast. And it was an immediate yes. Let's Yay. get the gang back together and talk <laughs> space. <laughs> yeah. So to I don't know if I told you all of the stuff that happened behind the scenes. So like if this were a movie, we're going to we're going to cut back. Yes. To like <laughs> three weeks earlier. Uh-huh. And it's it's my character coming in. And <laughs> um, uh, so this podcast is a part of the Multitude Collective, just like the other podcast that I host called Exolore. And uh, some time ago, the Multitude people asked me, hey, Moya, would you be interested in doing a show that is all about science instead of one that is a chaotic hodgepodge <laughs> of all of your interests? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes, that'd be nice. Um, and so we we met to brainstorm stuff about the show. And I had to brainstorm co-hosts. And I wrote down like 20 names. And then I put a star by like five names. <laughs> Corinne, your, your name was one of those five. <laughs> I got starred. You got a star. And, and it came down to like, I wanted the co-host for the show to be someone who was smart and funny and nice and like had a connection to space all these compliments (laughs) yeah this is the butter corinne up part of the episode we have to do this at the top of every episode Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) um but it just seemed kind of obvious looking at the list of people that i could reach out to that corinne would be the perfect co-host for pale blue pod i'm so touched i was happy when you said yes (laughs) to this cold email that i sent to you after like two or three years of no contact. I mean, after a pandemic of, geez, what's going on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're lucky I remember anything about space. I didn't delete it from my from my head catalog. <laughs> Honestly, same. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad I still remember stuff about space. Um, so that's how we met, and that's how we came to be here together today. But maybe you want to know a bit more about us personally, <laughs> um, like who, yeah. who we are. So, Corinne, who... Who are you? Who am I? Well, I am a writer and comedian. I hosted that aforementioned astronaut training show. I wrote a very silly self-help parody book called How to Success, A Writer's Guide to Fame and Fortune. <laughs> um, I'm realizing now the through line is I write and perform as if I am extremely wealthy and knowledgeable. <laughs> and that is both the theme of astronaut training and my self-help parody book. Yeah, I'm still writing and creating. I did a spacey radio drama for Yale's Summer Cab in last summer, okay. 2021. Love that. I, oh my gosh, the big, my big connection to space, I can't forget, is that I was a teacher at the New York City Center for Aerospace and Applied Mathematics. That's, that title, that's such like an impressive string of words. It is a mouthful. <laughs> I sound extremely smart when I say it. Um, I was really like this contracted fun person who can guide kids through spacey themed classes and missions. Mm. And it was the coolest job in the whole world. Obviously, COVID killed it along with my other space thing. But it was I wore a NASA flight suit. I got kids excited about space. I can't say I became an expert in it. I learned up to, I don't know a second grader's knowledge of space, whatever I needed to answer their questions. Uh, you know what? They, that's actually probably pretty high. <laughs> I think, I think that age is like peak, um, like 
absorbing information. Like they yeah. want to know everything. So Peak it was curiosity time. Yes, exactly. But it was great. And that was what um, inspired the astronaut show, which is how I met you to yeah. tie it back. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Moya, you. Me. Obviously, are a space expert, but tell us more. <laughs> is that obvious? To, well, obviously to me, you know, you take one look at Maya and you're like, space. <laughs> it might have something to do with the fact that I have a lot of space things tattooed on my body. Oh, so yeah. So people yeah, can visibly see it. <laughs> um, but me, I am an astrophysicist and a folklorist and a science communicator. I studied both astronomy and folklore in college. I think a through line you'll see in my story is that I am bad at making decisions. I refuse uh-huh. to choose between things. And so I refuse to choose between folklore and astronomy uh, until I got to grad school and got a PhD in astrophysics. But mm-hmm. I was always looking for ways to tie them together. And now I get to do that through um, my other work, like Exolore, like mm-hmm. um, Fate and Fabled, which is a, a mythology show that I host for PBS uh, with a book that I just wrote called The Milky yes! Way, an autobiography of our galaxy where the Milky Way itself is telling us uh, its whole life story. So yeah, I, I know a lot about space. I yes. studied it for a long time in very academic settings, very elite academic settings that sometimes <laughs> makes my skin crawl to think about <laughs> like what those yeah. spaces were like. <laughs> you know, grad school kind of stole my joy away <laughs> at the risk of like getting kind of heavy right now. Um, yeah. Grad school is really hard and committing to something, even if you love it a lot, you know, that love can be taken away. It's really challenging. Yeah. yeah if you, if you yeah. like go through some stuff. So um, I know a lot about space, but I've kind of fallen out of love with space. I've kind of mm-hmm. become jaded. And so I hope that uh, through this project, when we're talking about space together, that I can find my way back to loving it again. That's what I hope I to get that. out of this show. That's a really beautiful mission. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. What about you, Corinne? Do you have a mission, something you hope to get out of this show? Yeah, I think I want to... I just kind of want to learn more about space, but also not be intimidated by it. I think even when I was teaching at the Space Center, I was learning exactly enough um, to execute my job. (laughs) And I loved the people that I worked with the most, which is kind of the most fun. And I think this pod is the same way where it's like, I want to hang out with Moya. I want to learn more. And I think when you go about searching info about space on your own, you're really like trying to sort through all sorts of big words and big ideas and you kind of close the Wikipedia page pretty quick. <laughs> so- Those Wikipedia pages <laughs> about space can get so technical. Oh my God, who was behind that? They're not doing a it's great a, job for me. It's a bunch of nerds. It's a bunch of nerds writing down <laughs> it's always a nerd. equations. Yeah. Um, but I want to like learn from the nerdier people, Moya included, but not in a bad way. I am a nerd. I'm a proud nerd. <laughs> Out and proud nerd. Um, and I love other nerds, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, you said you're a bit overwhelmed by space. What is it? Yeah, I think it's like, I, I think it depends on who you are, but I can look at a picture of space and be like, mm, I'm feeling too tiny now. I got to look away. Mm-hmm. Or like, I think it just feels so other and so... Um, confusing and I think things that are scary it's often just because you don't know enough about it so I think I'd like to close that knowledge gap and with 
information comes responsibility. <laughs> with, with information comes knowledge and with knowledge comes power and with power comes yes. responsibility. That's yes. how you close the loop. It's a Spider-Man thing. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say. I love that. And I think a lot of people um, that this show finds, a lot of people who find this show will relate to that, that feeling of being overwhelmed by space. And so I hope that as like Corinne and the listeners learn more about space, it becomes a little less foreign, a little less unfamiliar, yeah. a little less scary. And accessible. And Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. space is for everyone. Um, yes. Not just for people at fancy institutions with enough money to build a giant telescope and no. displace the people who live on that land. It's not just for them. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it's for everyone. And we, we want you listeners to know that, that space is for you, that you are a part of space, and that if you are willing to learn more about it, it doesn't have to be that scary. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's go on to the topic of the very first episode. Let's get into it. We do have a fun, maybe controversial topic for the first Ooh. episode of the pod. Are you, are you ready to talk about it, Corinne? I'm ready. I'm really ready. Today we're getting to the bottom of the question, is Pluto a planet? I think it's the number one question on a lot of our minds. It's definitely in the top 10 questions that I get from people when I talk about space. Are aliens real? What is time? And mm -hmm. is Pluto a planet? What is time? Do you have like a quick, I only have like two minutes. Can you... <laughs> time is a construct. That's it. Oh, you're right. You have all the time you need. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, we have as little or as much of it as we feel we do. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like answering if Pluto is a planet is... I don't know why it's tricky or controversial. I think it's just so heartbreaking to know that the science you learned as a kid is mm. potentially not the science that is now, or rather the facts. Yeah, that there is something really scary about that. I think that's a good point. I think that that feeling you just described is something that actually leads to a lot of general distrust in science, not just astronomy or the question of Pluto specifically. Yeah, like... We want to think that science is this permanent, lifelong fact, but it is mm. a constant question and evolving, I guess. Yeah, you're <laughs> completely right. Science is the process of looking for the answer. But it's so much nicer when you have the answers, Moya. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, as like a type A perfectionist type person... <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to have all the answers. And one of the reasons I left research academia is that I was uncomfortable not knowing all the answers and like admitting to myself that I was essentially a professional dum-dum who, <laughs> who didn't know things and I was trying to learn those things. And now um, I get to be a professional smart smart where I just take the things other people have learned and hand them to you. That's very fun. I, we need and we need those people too. The professional smart smarts. <laughs> Yeah, the smart smarts. For for me, the other dum dum, the the medium dum dum, the amateur dum dum. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. there's all of it's a scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's you're right. It's all a scale. It's all one big cloud. Um, but yeah, I I do think that we can get into the heart of this question: Is Pluto mm -hmm. a planet? By by looking back at basically the history of planet discovery from our earthly perspective and, and even further back than that, um, what is a planet and how do they form? Whoa, I've never thought about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, so I I can, t- can tell you some things. And if you have questions, please stop me. Please tell Absolutely. me your comments. Like, I want to learn together. So um, first, I want to start with how do planets form? Where do they come from? Okay, let me guess. How my guess is they're from some kind of... I don't know, collision, some kind of rock that gets caught. Well, to Mm -hmm. be a planet, do you have to be orbiting a star? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So then you got to be somehow caught in that kind of, I don't know, gravity web that's going on. (laughs) Ooh, a gravity web. Yeah, that's how I picture gravity. The sun, the sun is a spider and it, it uh, catches all the fly planets. Yeah. I saw one video where gravity was described as like graph paper, you know, Ooh, <laughs> and mm. now it's all a graph to me. <laughs> um, you you are not very far off. Um, okay. It does happen through collisions of rocks and these rocks are trapped in the, the star's mm-hmm. gravitational web. Um, so let's start at the very beginning of the process because you can't have planets without a star. Uh, stars form from clouds of gas that through different mechanisms cool down and contract on themselves. That initial contraction kind of has a a runaway effect where once it starts, it will continue and create something that is so dense and so packed tightly together that it has the pressure and temperature to create nuclear fusion. And that is a star. Yeah. So a star is just this this cloud of gas that contracts in on itself very tightly. Mm -hmm. Um, But once you have the star, there's a lot of leftover material from the gas cloud that never makes it into the star. Mm. Yeah, all of this debris forms a disk around the young star uh, that will rotate around the star in the direction that the original gas cloud was was twirling in, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So everything in space is spinning. Angular momentum is always mm-hmm. being conserved. So when the gas cloud contracts, it continues to spin. And that's why we see stars that rotate and the, the debris disk will rotate in that same direction. Um, and the collisions that you guessed about, uh, those happen in that disk. So over time, uh, these I see. little particles of dust will will hit each other. They'll become pebbles. Those will become rocks. Those will become Whoa. boulders um, all the way up to planet sized things. I feel like you see that when you have like bubbles on like the surface of water when like these bubbles combine like in a bath or something. Yeah. And like now it's a bigger and bigger bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's a it's a snowball effect. Yeah, uh-huh. um, we do we do often describe it as these planets or these planetesimals snowballing into larger planet figures, and then you can get into like fun details of how far away you are from the star and what materials are collecting to form different mm. types of planets. Like we okay. usually see rocky planets closer to the star and gas and ice planets farther away from the star. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah beyond. Uh, the snow line, we call it. You know, there's a distance from the star where the temperature drops below the freezing point for different elements. So there's a water snow line and there's a methane snow line and there, yeah, so all of these different things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense Mm -hmm. based on on the little I know. (laughs) Like based on what I know about like, let's say Mars, like there might be frozen water on like the moon and Mars. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think there there's frozen water in some parts of the moon, but there are 
frozen like lakes. There's a lake frozen on Mars, ice I think. Cap on Mars, yeah. Whoa. Uh, to go canoeing there, to spend your summers on Mars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's how planets form, but that's totally different than like defining a planet. Uh-huh. You know. So I, so Pluto did form that way. Correct. All of the bodies around a star form in that way. But mm-hmm. at least in the way we classify them, not all of those bodies become planets. So there oh. is like a set of criteria that we have now for what a planet is. And you okay. were you were totally on point for one of them, that it has to be orbiting a star. Yes. yes. I'm very bright. I'm actually a billionaire scientist so mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense <laughs> instead of uh money you you trade in the currency of thoughts and ideas exactly yes. yeah when you get up when you get that rich that's all your you know that's the only thing that's exciting anymore because money is also just a construct yeah yeah just like time which is why it's okay that i don't give mine away <laughs> mm. well time is money i've heard Oh, that's true. We do say that. We say that. (laughs) You and your billionaire kin. Me and my crew. Yeah. (laughs) So the the definition of a planet has changed over time. Uh, The word planet comes to us from an ancient like Greek word meaning wanderer. Ooh. Yes. This is a really interesting piece of history. Um, One of the, the ways that folklore and astronomy overlap because to the ancient humans, a planet was a bright point in the sky that appeared to move relative to the fixed stars. So those planets would have been um, the five visible planets in our solar system to the naked eye. So Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, plus the other bright things in the sky that appear to move. So do you know what those those other bright things would have been that they considered Hmm. planets? Well, I imagine no like satellites at that point. Like right. like human made satellites, right? And um, so obviously aliens, uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously. I guess like other stars that are really far away. See this this is the interesting thing. Um, so those stars that are really far away, they don't appear to move. Um, in like a month, right? right. They move over the course of a year, but. Very slowly, there are bright things that we see moving on faster time scales, like Ooh. a bright thing that appears to change position every day would be the sun, the sun, the yeah, uh huh. <laughs> and a bright thing that changes over the course of a month, the moon, the moon, yes. So they had <laughs> seven wandering stars or seven planets, and only Ooh. five of those were actually Actual planets. Pla- the other two mm-hmm. are the. The moon and the, the sun and, and the moon. The and those those seven wandering bodies gave us the seven days of the week that we have today oh, um, wow. coming to us all the way from ancient Babylonian mythology. So there's like a, a fun connection there. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's what planet used to mean. Uh, yeah. But we now have a more scientific definition of what a planet Mm -hmm. is. And this uh, definition comes to us from the International Astronomical Union. This is a big body that oversees like the naming conventions of things in space um, and just like official space business. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2006, they laid out three different criteria for what a planet was. Uh, You got one of them that it has to orbit a star. This is Mm -hmm. why uh, moons are separate from planets because a moon orbits a planet, but a planet orbits a star. 
Um, The other two criteria are that the body has to be massive enough that gravity has forced it into a spherical shape. Okay. Yeah, so we're not looking for lumpy things like asteroids and comets. Right. And then the third rule is, uh, this is the one where people get tripped up. Uh, The body has to be massive enough that its gravity has cleared away other objects of similar size near its orbit. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like if the moon was larger, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is even the question to be asking. If the moon was larger and it was still next to Earth, yeah. would the Earth be a planet? If the moon is still clearly orbiting the Earth. Earth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The moon's about a quarter of Earth's size, which is way bigger than I feel like it should be. Um, That's big. It's really big, but it is still considered a natural satellite of Earth, whereas Pluto's satellite, Charon, uh, is about half of its size. Uh And they have this weird, complicated dance where it's unclear if Charon is orbiting Pluto or if they're both just orbiting the sun. Whoa. Yeah. So Pluto fails on this third criterion for being a planet. And that's why in 2006, it was demoted from planet to dwarf planet. Um, And the IAU classifies a dwarf planet as something that meets those other two criteria. You know, it's it orbits a star and it's spherical because of gravity, but it does not have enough mass to clear out its orbit. So if if it was a cleared orbit, let's say that mm-hmm. Charon would not be there. Maybe if like Charon were smaller and it were uh-huh. clearly orbiting Pluto, then, Pluto yeah. then that would count. But the the real problem is that there's a bunch of other space junk out there. There are a bunch yeah. of rocks that are similar to Pluto's size that are orbiting near Pluto's orbit. Near Pluto. I see. I see. Mm-hmm. So like that we're not as close to like asteroids, I guess, is like. Pluto might be. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. There's just a lot more space junk Got around it. Pluto. Yeah. Oh, Pluto. Poor Pluto. Yeah. Sorry, Pluto. Right. Um, do you want to know a bit about the history of finding planets? Yes. In our solar system? Yes. Um, yes. So, like I said, there are five that you can see with your naked eye uh, or unaided eye if you have um, a prudish face. Uh, so those... <laughs> Those were Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Uranus was discovered in 1781 with a telescope by Mm -hmm. William Herschel. William Herschel was looking for comets, and he found this bright spot in the sky with his telescope uh, that was obviously bigger than other comets and moved in a way that was similar to the planets that we could see, so he identified it as a planet. Um, Fun fact, I just wrote a book Um, about the Milky Way from the Milky Way's perspective. And um, it talks about the history of how humans like mapped different parts of the galaxy. William Herschel and Caroline Herschel, his sister, made a really nice early map of the galaxy that was totally inaccurate, but that's not the point. (laughs) Um, This whole tangent is is an opportunity for me to say that the Milky Way in the book refuses to name William Herschel and instead just calls him (laughs) Caroline Herschel's brother every time he's mentioned. Well, I'm sure that tracks it with, you know, human history, too, of like how how much of Caroline Herschel is there in our books. So maybe this is great. Yeah, nowhere near enough considering she's getting that she, the credit. Mm-hmm, yeah, she should have gotten way more credit than she did. She helped uh, William with all of his research and was an established astronomer in her own right. So That's really her. cool. Mm-hmm. I would not help my brother, I think, in that way. 
<laughs> would you would you spoon feed your brother while he's working? Oh my God, no. I yeah, wouldn't she even do that. that for myself, really. <laughs> I'm always forgetting <laughs> to eat at work. But that is <laughs> I'm certainly not doing that for... Thank you. I agree. Is he extremely ill? No, he's perfectly healthy. (laughs) Then no way, man. (laughs) Mm -mm. Yeah, science can suffer. I am not feeding some grown-ass man Yeah, science can wait. (laughs) Science can wait. (laughs) Also, like, imagine all the science we lost because Caroline Herschel wasn't using her brilliant mind to study space, but using it to feed her brother. Pluto probably still would have. No, it wouldn't have changed Pluto at all. But no, but it it might have changed Uranus. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So actually, the discovery of Uranus is very important to the discovery of the further out planets, because when they saw Uranus and they calculated how far away it was from the sun, that gave them an idea of how Uranus should move throughout the solar system. Like, how long should it take it to do one orbit? Mm. And where should it be at different points of the year? Um, But when they observed that, they noticed some differences between reality and their expectations. So they they realized that there was something out there tugging on Uranus so that its orbit didn't exactly match our predictions. Interesting. So they started looking for another planet out there. um, And in 1846, they found Neptune. 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 Uh, the good old watery planet. 1846? Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. In my head, we've known about all this for millions of years. Like, <laughs> there's no way it happened, like... 150 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially for something as big as, like, Neptune. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, your great-great-grandfather had no idea about had Neptune. Had no idea about Neptune. Mm-hmm. Things could have been so different for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So through those like perturbations, they knew that Neptune was there. And then they spent many decades trying to find Neptune. And then something similar happened again, where they noticed even more perturbations in Uranus and Neptune's orbits. And they were like, something else has got to be out there. Mm -hmm. So they spent like 80 years looking (gasps) for planet X, this um, imagined planet beyond Neptune. And they found it in 1930. Really? Yeah. It was this 24-year-old observatory assistant who found Pluto. His name was Clyde Tombaugh. That's Um, a very funny name to me. (laughs) Like, he always wore a top hat, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm picturing him and he's, like, really pale and young Mm. and, like, a little nervous. (laughs) Right. Yeah, he's 24 when he discovers Bluto. But actually, his greatest claim to fame is that when he grows up, he uh, eventually is the ancestor to Mr. Peanut. That's that's where that joke was going. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. Thank you. That tracks. Yeah. The name Pluto was suggested by an 11-year-old English girl from Oxford named Venetia Burney, who, for her suggestion that we are still talking about right now, you know, almost 100 years later, she got five pounds for naming Pluto. No. What is Mm -hmm. that in 1840 money, though? Oh, I mean, that's a great question. No, it can't be more than $100 in today's currency. I'm going to Google it and I'll bet that value of, okay, it would be $566. That's really not so good. That's not so, I'm, I mean, she was 11. It's like a treat. It's a treat. 
Yeah. But it's not like what it should be. You need residuals. This girl needs residuals on mm. this. This is why the human race needs to unionize and set up a contract <laughs> so that we get our Pluto residuals. Yes. There needs to be a, a planet naming union. You're right. Um, not not the International Astronomical Union. That is not the same type no, of no, union. No. No, they don't care about giving out residuals. I, I figured that when you said that, it's like, oh, okay. They don't care about residuals at all. No, not at all. Um, so poor Venetia Bernie. Let's all think about her and yeah. the way that she was not fairly compensated for her work. I am glad she didn't live to see Pluto get demoted. That might have been sad for her. Did she? That might have been. I, that's a great question. Um, when Pluto was demoted, if she was 11 in, in 1930... Then she would have been uh, eleven. I just plus decided she died. <laughs> she really, she really could have been alive. It makes she, perfect sense. I mean, eighty-seven is old for the twentieth century. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she might have, but maybe not. Me just declaring her dead on a podcast. <laughs> Are you looking it up? Are you seeing if she's Again. still alive? Two thousand nine. <gasps> so, so she, she did live to see it. it. She saw Obama be president. An amazing life. I mean, I don't know her personal politics, but <laughs> I'm choosing to believe just, that thinking, she thought she that was see? a good thing. She missed Hurricane Sandy, I'll tell you that. The rest she, of this podcast is actually just a list of things Venetia Bernie did and did Venetia not experience did, before did, she did died. She did not see COVID, I'll tell you that. Mm, that's a blessing. <laughs> good for her. She said, I don't quite know why I suggested it. I was having breakfast with my mother and my grandfather, and my grandfather read out the at the breakfast, the great news about the discovery of the planet, and he wondered what it would be called. I said, why not call it Pluto? Why not? Thanks, Venetia. You're right. <laughs> You're um, so right. I mean, there there is a naming convention in place now where planets are named after mythological figures, mostly from Roman uh -huh. mythology. Uh, when Herschel discovered Uranus in 1781, he was tempted to name it after King George the something, whatever sure. George was king at the time. But other astronomers around the world pushed back and were like, no, we don't want to have a planet named George when we <laughs> like we have planets named. We don't want it to go yeah. uh, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, George. <laughs> yes. Yeah, totally. This is how I feel about Dune. Did you read Dune? Mm -mm. I haven't, but my fiance has. And it's like all of these made up words. And then your main character is named Paul. And it's just like, wait, we have to like stick to something here. The brand, we have to maintain the brand. Right. Something here is not consistent. What, yeah, one yeah. of these things is not like the other. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah, so Pluto being the Roman god of the underworld, a place that is very dark and cold, makes sense for a planet that is, at the time, the furthest one we know about from the sun. Yeah. That history of us discovering a planet, seeing that its orbit isn't exactly how we predicted it should be, and then continuing to look for more planets, we're still doing that. That's uh, so we cool. are trying to find uh, a planet beyond the orbit of Pluto that we are calling Planet Nine. Uh, that search is actively ongoing. And so there's like some evidence that things are getting tugged in a way that yeah. it could be there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So would that still be a dwarf planet or maybe like it might be big enough that it's not? That's that's a great question. Um, I think based on 
how the planets that we can see are being tugged. We believe that if Planet Nine is out there, it would be between five and ten times the mass of Earth. Whoa. Definitely massive enough to be a planet. Wow. I guess I just assumed that that was the end of the line. (laughs) No, no. History continues to repeat itself. Wow. I'm going to name that one. I'm going to start thinking of a name and name it. Please do. And it can apparently be as casual as yours eating breakfast at, and in I'm the morning. And I'm going to for like, $566. <laughs> There's a precedent. Yeah, there is a precedent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, there obviously is some pushback against Pluto's demotion. People were very upset in 2006 when Pluto yeah. became a dwarf planet. I remember that. Mm-hmm. It was disturbing. Yeah, all like people felt like they had been lied to. All of a sudden, that A they got in their fifth grade science yeah. class, mm-mm, not an A no, anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> not at all. That was like a defining moment for me to be like, mm. wait a second, this is not a planet? Because I certainly did a report on it at some point. Mm, I certainly did some bit of homework on Pluto because that's always like the one you want to pick because it's like the little guy or something. Yeah, it's fun. Well, not anymore. No, uh, you your grade got ripped away in 2006 <laughs> so cruelly. My whole academic career spiraled down the drain after that. That's that's why you're not an astrophysicist uh-huh. right that's now. A, and that's the only reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there there are also some astronomers, some some scientists who have pushed back against this demotion. One of them is a planetary scientist named Alan Stern, who believes that astronomers, people who study stars and galaxies and black holes, should not have been voting on what constitutes a planet. Um, first of all, if they aren't experts in planets, if they're not planetary scientists, why are they involved? Second of all, science should not be left up to a vote, says Alan Stern, because that makes people think that it's political and that it's not based on the rigor that we need science to be based on. I agree, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in Alan Stern's mind, a planet should be defined as a body that is massive enough to be round, but not massive enough to spark nuclear fusion in its core. Oh. Which is a nice inclusive definition. Yeah, yeah. Would that bring in anything else that we, Mm. in our solar system? Yes, Yes. <laughs> so the reason, one of the reasons that they made this criteria for planethood being that it has to have cleared out its orbit with its mass and gravity is that otherwise we would have gone from a solar system with eight planets in it to a solar system with like thousands of planets in it. Whoa. If you're including all of the massive round objects out in like the Kuiper belt of the solar system. Mm -hmm, Even some mm -hmm. things in the asteroid belt are big enough to meet those two criteria of planethood before clearing out the orbit. So um, essentially the IAU was like, we don't want kids to have to remember this long list of planet names. We can't just Mm -hmm. let anyone in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they they kicked Pluto out of the club because they wanted it to be exclusive. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Pluto and those other things have to unionize now. This is a pro-union episode of this. I imagine all of our episodes will be pro-union Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to lean that way, but Mm -hmm. we just have to make Pluto sentient and then get to unionize. All right. That's one one item on a to-do list. Make planet sentient. (laughs) Go about your day. That's it. Wake that planet up. Um, So... 
I guess now we're at the point. Now that you have heard about the history of planet discovery, you understand uh, how planets form from clouds of gas that make stars. What do you think, Corinne? Is Pluto a planet? Okay. well, I think I'm team Stern, Mm. if I have his name correctly. And Mm -hmm. I personally think, yeah, yeah, it is. But I completely understand, like, why we would have criteria. You know, you have to keep things in a some kind of rubric in science so that you can keep mm-hmm. learning and going. So I understand why we would have these three rules. But I really, you know, my personal allegiance is going to be to Pluto being a planet. Hell yeah. That's the report I did in school. <laughs> that's what I want to be true. <laughs> I think that's a, a plenty good reason. I have to stand with Venetia. Team Venetia. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I I think that if you're looking at the historical precedent of what is and is not a planet, um, ancient humans definitely would have would have considered Pluto a planet. It's a wanderer. It moves relative to I the fixed stars wanderer. in the background. Yeah. Uh, and also, even if you are getting stuck on this IAU definition of a planet being something that has cleared out its orbit, and if it hasn't, then it's a dwarf planet. I mean, like, it's just a special type of planet. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, it's still a planet, but it's in, like, some subcategory. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you can categorize, like, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, like, in a way as well that everyone just gets some kind of subcategory definition. Right. And we do. We do that. We have we have terrestrial planets. We right. have gas giant planets. We have ice giant planets. We have uh, mini Neptunes and super Earths. We have all of these different classification schemes. Wait, what the hell's a mini Neptune? It's uh, literally just a planet that is in between the size of Earth and Neptune. That's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Mini Neptune is so cute. We think most planets out there are mini Neptunes, most of what we've found anyway. But that could just be a a bias in what our instruments can see. Like it might be Uh, easier to see these mini Neptunes. And so Mm -hmm. we are observing them more frequently. Uh, So, okay, we are both in agreement. Pluto's a planet. Even if it is like a special type of planet, it's still a planet. Yeah. So... (laughs) 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 i i have prepared some some mnemonics some ways that we can um remember the order of the planets including pluto um and i would love to share them with you hear any that you came up with and then maybe make make our own together collaboratively (laughs) okay that's so funny because mine only some of them include Pluto because i wasn't sure where we were gonna land i'm gonna quickly (laughs) pop in a few Peas to my Pop. mnemonics. <laughs> Pop in some peas. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay, then can I can I read one of mine? While yes, you can. I, I wrote down three. I was having a lot of fun with this. Um, <laughs> the first is married vixens evoke memories jailed under noro particles. That's really good. Thanks. Wait, <laughs> do you have a Saturn in there? Shit, no, I don't. Oh my god, none of these have Saturn. <laughs> Okay, so Saturn's not the planet, and Pluto is. Just add the word so. So, (laughs) So, uh, married vixens evoke memories jailed sturdily under narrow particles. That's exactly it. Sturdily can be popped into any of them. I'm confident. (laughs) I can't believe I forgot Saturn. Well, okay, most of mine, this is a really challenging thing for me. I don't know why. I think I was just like, just repeating in my head, my very educated mother. So here's one. 
<clears throat> and in this one, the word you is just the letter U. And mm. the word no, we're going to pretend starts with an N. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I think that's how it should be taught in schools. So it goes, marketing various eggs may just stink, you know? <laughs> and then, uh, please. 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 <laughs> marketing various eggs may just stink, you know? Please. It's me, someone who's copywriting in a marketing agency. I'm like, maybe this just stinks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Fantastic. Oh, um, uh, I have one here. Mopey vampires enter most jurisdictions under noxious pretenses. And like a typical astronomer, when we are doing our acronyms, we will just capitalize a letter in the middle of the word to make it part of the acronym. That's so, what I did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the S in, juris in jurisdictions, jurisdictions is, is also Saturn. capitalized. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's a good fix that I can tell you came in with. <laughs> yes, this was part of the plan the whole time. <laughs> okay, so here's one. Many very educated mothers just sat down. Down isn't part of it. Mm. You should not bother them. And that's someone who thought the word bother started with a P. <laughs> and three words in that are not in it. Down, <laughs> should, and them are not part of it, but that's okay. That's okay. They're little. <laughs> you whisper them. Exactly. And they're, they're, they're smaller words, and it just helps you remember it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, mixed vegetables enrage my uncle so never prepared. <laughs> It's like period. So never prepared. So he's, he's, it's always this, uh, a mess with my uncle <laughs> who hates mixed vegetables. This guy's never coming over. He hates vegetables and he's never coming over with like a housewarming mm -hmm. gift. And <laughs> uh, okay. Here's one. More volcanoes exist merely to just smolder utensils now. <gasps> yes. That's my favorite one yet. <laughs> And again, the two is not part of it. Right. Obviously. And if you want to add a Pluto, you just go psh, psh, at the end or like. <laughs> uh, um, can we make one up like a word at a time? Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, I've never heard of a word that starts with M. So <laughs> OK, how about magazines? Mm. The Vimy Vex magazines Vex. Everyone. Mostly. Just. So. You. Never. P. Magazines vex <laughs> everyone. Mostly, mostly just, just so you never pee. That's true. Yes. I'm always reading magazines and not going to the bathroom. <laughs> because you're so vexed <laughs> by them. I'm just so vexed all the time. Oh, um... I would love to hear some listener mnemonics for the planets <laughs> in the solar system. See if you can beat magazines, vex everyone, mostly just so you never pee. I do think kids would remember that. I'm confident kids in fourth grade would remember that. Yeah. If it has pee or poop in it, yep. they're going to remember it. Um, yes. Please tag us on Instagram, Twitter. I would mm -hmm. love to hear your mnemonics. And remember, you can be very flexible with them the same way we just were. So. Yes. Capitalize the fourth letter in the word. Why not? Yeah. Sneak in just a random sound at the end to get mm. Pluto in. 
At some point, we're going to have to do an episode on the worst astronomy acronyms because there are some. Oh, my God. I would love to hear those. Oh, my God. So bad. The one that comes to mind right now is ALF Alpha, but the A is a twice nested acronym in the ALF Alpha. It's there's it's acronyms all the way down. It's beautiful. Is that just so that it's like a fun thing to say? Yeah, probably. Interesting. You got to have a little bit of fun. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, you know, the research gets tedious. I absolutely know people who came up with the concept for something that they turned into an acronym and just like forced it to work. That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. (laughs) Uh, But none of them, none of them will ever hold a candle to magazines vexed everyone, mostly just so you never pee. I think that's all I had about Pluto being a planet. I think I just heard the timer for the cookies. So, <gasps> yeah, let's go eat some cookies. Yay! Let's snack and leave our listeners to come up with their own mnemonics and let us know if they think Pluto is a planet. Um, some action items, listeners. Yes. This is our very first episode. We will continue to make episodes as long as people continue to listen Mm -hmm. to them. And also as long as Mm -hmm. we enjoy making episodes. So please subscribe to the show, share it with your friends, and listen to the next episode. It's going to be some galactic fun. That's a clue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) See if you can find the Easter egg in that one. Uh, you, I'm not going to tell you if there are any uh, capitalized or, or like small <laughs> letters in that. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Pale Blue Pod. If you remember nothing else from this show, remember that you are space. Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye. Bye.